The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so we'll get started again. We're still waiting for the right um, cable for the projector, but I actually wasn't intending to show anything until about partway into this section, so it could be just perfect. (laughs) We'll see. Um, Okay, so I want to talk about another sutta that talks about different ways of knowing how it is that we know things. And this one is um, from this book called the Majjhima Nikaya. It's MN95. And just so you know, um, I'm going to give out a reference sheet later, so in case you want, you're interested in the various things I've been um, quoting. Okay, so this, this sutta has a lot going on in it. There's a whole story that goes with it, but we're not going to go through all that. I'm going to zero in on the, um, what he describes as five ways of knowing that are ultimately unreliable. So it's similar to the Kalama Sutta, but in this one there's a fewer number of them. And he names these five as faith, approval, which is sometimes translated as liking. So faith, approval, oral tradition, reasoning through analogy, and reflective acceptance of a view. So these are interesting. We don't normally think so much about all the different ways that we know, and I don't want to go into like a catalog of epistemology, but um, there are a lot of different ways that we know things, and we place weight or authority in them differently, depending who we are and what our culture tells us. And it's interesting to just be aware of that. So the Buddha talked about this because he knew it was important, actually, how we know things and where we place authority is very important, has a big effect on our well-being and also on our ability to walk on the path. So these things, these five ways that are ultimately unreliable, the, what, the way he talks about them is that they can turn out two different ways here and now. How to go with the cable? We got it. Okay, I'll let you know when we need it. You could take it out of the... Okay, great. This, okay, perfect. Can you take it out of the package? Um, I'll let you know when we need it. Okay, um, so two, five ways of knowing that can turn out two different ways here and now. And then he lists five, faith, approval, oral tradition, reasoning through analogy, and reflective acceptance of a view. And how he um, describes that is that he, he uses the example of faith. Now, something may be fully accepted out of faith Yet it may be empty, hollow, and false. But something else may not be fully accepted out of faith, yet it may be factual, true, and unmistaken. And he says the same thing for the other ones. And if you think about it, it's absolutely true, right? These things can turn out either way. And we have to bring in basically other criteria for being sure about them. It's also interesting to note that... um, Two of these, so faith and approval, are basically emotional ways of knowing. Oral tradition is a cultural way of knowing. We don't have, we don't have the same issue that they had in this ancient Indian culture where there was this strong um, Vedic Brahmin culture that was memorizing texts that had been passed down for a long time and you know, 
claimed, well, just because, you know, we've always believed this, that's why I believe it. So that's what he means by oral tradition, literally. But we could extend it into our culture for things that we know culturally. And then reasoning through analogy and reflective acceptance of a view, these are cognitive ways of knowing. And he points out these two may um, be ultimately unreliable. So then he doesn't just leave you hanging. That's not the point of the teaching. He then goes on and he describes um, a path of practice. And I won't go through, the, there's 12 steps of it. We won't go through them in detail, but he, um, first he gives some criteria for why you, why you would place faith in a certain person as a teacher. So just so that you know that background is there. He doesn't just say you ought to have faith. So he, said, he gives some criteria for that. And then he says, um, when the student has investigated the teacher and has seen that he's worthy of faith, then he places faith in the teacher. Filled with faith, he visits the teacher and pays respect. Having paid respect, he gives ear. Giving ear, he hears the Dhamma. Having heard the Dhamma, he memorizes it and examines the meanings of the teachings he has memorized. When he examines their meaning, he gains a reflective acceptance of those teachings. When he has gained a reflective acceptance, zeal springs up. When zeal has sprung up, he applies his will. Having applied his will, he scrutinizes. Having scrutinized, he strives. Resolutely striving, he realizes with the body the supreme truth and sees it by penetrating it with wisdom. That's an interesting path, right? Because, uh, we, I, like I said, we're not going to try to get through every step, but he starts, you start with faith, which is one of the unreliable ways of knowing, but you've got to start somewhere. And then, he, through that, he decides to listen to the Dharma. You know, at some point, you decide, well, okay, this is worth, I mean, you have 24 hours in your day, how do you spend them? If you spend some of them listening to the Dharma, I would suggest that at some level you have faith that that's an okay thing to do. That's maybe a worthwhile thing to at least look into. So hearing that, he then says that he examines the meaning of the teachings that he's been given. So he doesn't just accept the teachings. He examines the meaning of them. And then it says through that he will gain a reflective acceptance. So reflective acceptance of a view, that was another of the five unreliable ways of knowing. So he's pulled in two of them as part of the path. And then from there, all the part about zeal and scrutinizing and striving, that actually, we don't use that language for Westerners because we're too driven, but that means sitting on the cushion and actually practicing like we did earlier. And so it says, well, after you've decided, yeah, this makes sense to me, then you do it. <laughs> then, you, then you go and you do it. And the result of that is to, there's this interesting phrase. So, um, penetrates with wisdom and realizes with the body the supreme truth. We can worth con- it's worth contemplating what that means. Um, it's actually worth doing it also. But So I think this is an interesting path that is um, you know, worthy, maybe, maybe makes sense to a scientist in some way, is that you start with some initial seed of interest or we can call it faith. We could also call it trust or confidence. Some people like those words better. And then you're supposed to actually consider whether the teachings you're receiving make sense to you. And if they do, then you give yourself to them. It's not so different from what we're asked to do in science or engineering. Of you know, you, 
figure out if this is a worthy problem, and then there's a point where you have to give yourself to it and put in the effort, and then there will maybe be some insight, some fruit of discovery from that. Jim. Oh, could you have a microphone? <laughs> Sorry to hold your thought for a moment. It's okay. Actually, in my mind, I often parse scientists into two categories. There's experimentalists and theoretical people. And as you were describing this process, it seemed like it started with the theoretical and moved to the experimental. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, that may not exactly be hand in glove, but that's yeah, often the way I see in the work that I do that there's those two parts, but that are... Uh, Intertwined. Dip- yeah. 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 That's maybe interesting, maybe the way that we approach things also is those of us with sort of abstract minds, we see things conceptually, and then we eventually learn them in experience in some way. Thank you for that. Did you have a comment also? Okay, you get the microphone. I thought the second to the last stage was to check it out in your body, which is extremely interesting mm-hmm. from a scientific point of view because it is, it's yeah. like the body is the path. That's why we practice with the body. In the in the, that first meditation, was very focused on that. It's, we have to realize that. I'll um, I'll share a bit of my own, a little bit from my own past also which is that when I was first beginning practice, I was doing so from a place where I was having difficulty with my health at the time. And I had a situation where I was very, I was very much in pain and I was you know, seeking a medical attention for something that was obvious to me. <laughs> it was obviously um, very much affecting my ability to even to live and work in the world. And I had the experience of going to multiple doctors, nine in the end, and I never had a positive test. So I went to every different kind of doctor, and they said, well, we think you might have this. And so they would do a blood test, a neurological test, an MRI, whatever it was. Every single thing came out completely clean. So according to the facts, there was absolutely nothing happening in my body that we could measure. Um, but it was obvious to me <laughs> that, you know, that I was not making this up, that it was a very real physical experience. And this caused a, a fair amount of distress in my system um, because it didn't match. This was a big cognitive dissonance for me, maybe more so as a scientist, right? It's like you've got to be able to measure this is, this, if there's something happening. And it wasn't like it was some really subtle thing like, uh, that might be difficult to detect. So, at least as, as I thought it. So there came a moment where I made some kind of an internal decision um, that I was going to go with my own experience and that that was, that was what was real. I mean, I actually had questions about whether my experience was real while this was going on. So attuned I was to requiring external confirmation of anything to be true, 
which is the culture of science, it better be third-party verifiable or it's not real. This didn't work at all in a personal sense for me during this experience. And so I had a moment where um, I said, no, this is just a case where um, this is completely real and for some reason it's not being measured. And looking back, um, I see that that was actually a huge internal change to be able to make. And I had to go through a fair amount of suffering, I'll, I'll say, to get to the point where I was willing to do that, because it went against you know, some conditioning in my system. And it had long-term consequences. It didn't feel big at the time, but it was actually very big to say, actually, my experience that I feel, that's the reality. And this, the external is subordinate to that in some way. Um, it had long-term consequences in what I was able to do and experience, actually. Uh, I can say that for sure. So hold on to that point about what it takes to change our view, because that is, we're going to go into that in, big, in more detail in the afternoon. Do I see a hand over there? So as a scientist, I mean, don't you often ask yourself, maybe there aren't quite the measurements or the testing, instead of internalizing, saying, wait, um, I might be the wisest here, I'll just introspect and figure out. As a scientist, I often question and say, well, maybe there isn't a measurement out there. So yeah. I start doubting myself, just like you did, thinking we just haven't advanced. Mm -hmm. And that investigation, of course, goes crazy. But Yeah, no, it's a good point. It's because, of course, we can't measure everything. And measurement science evolves along with science. And interestingly, what we think is worthy of measuring or that we're able to measure or even how to approach measurement is cultural in, within the culture of science. It has to do with the view or the paradigm that's going on at that time. So we'll talk about that more this afternoon also. Sure, that certainly occurred to me. Then I discovered that meditation has all the technology to, de to detect everything I needed to detect in my experience. So I felt like I answered that question also. <laughs> um, so I want to I turn now to another important point. Actually, this would be a great moment to get the projector on. Let's do that. Um, we have our HDMI cable. <laughs> 